Hello and welcome to the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS Bookstore. I'm Ben Portnoy alongside Murphy Wheeler, Cam Drummond. Guys, we're back in business. Winter break's over. We're here. We're back in the bloom. We're back in the correct podcast studio. We're not in an abandoned media center at the Chrysler Center. Correct. And Murphy's with us instead of Hussey. So. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> gentlemen, it's... Uh, We've got an interesting week ahead for IU basketball. Yeah. Uh, Hoosiers take on Nebraska Monday night. That is, when this drops, that'll be tonight. Yeah. Um, so that's the first, and then take on heading to West Lafayette for the first of two rivalry games against the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, let's start with what we saw over the last week. Obviously, IU traveled to traveled to Michigan. That game ended. We talked Michigan um, on the previous pod, but the Maryland game on uh, Friday rather was. Yep. Um, something to say the least. So, Cam, what were your takeaways from Maryland? I, I just, I don't know. I, I this was one of those games that I watched and I just couldn't. Every time IU seems to figure it out, they shoot themselves in the foot. It seems right. And I thought Friday was exa- exactly that. I mean, that was kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, Indiana to the extreme, right? Because. For the first time, and honestly, I have no clue how long Indiana gets out to a fast start to the game. I think they led eleven to two within four minutes, fourteen to two within five minutes. They're up ten the entire first half. Right. They maintain a nice eight to ten point cushion. Had an eight point lead into halftime. And the craziest thing about that start from Indiana, of course, what eventually turned, as I'm sure you all know, into a seventy eight seventy five road loss, was the fact that it wasn't overly reliant on Jawan Morgan and Romeo Langford to start the game. I think Romeo Langford had only two points in the first you know, half of that opening 20-minute stretch because you had guys like Devontae Green making shots. He was Indiana's leading scorer in the first half with 10 points and had all the, 10 of those points within the first 12 minutes as Murphy stifles a chuckle. <laughs> Al Durham was making some shots. Justin Smith played phenomenal in that first half, and it wasn't just on the offensive end. You had so many defensive sequences where – Especially to start the game, Maryland was either chucking up hurried shots, excuse me, to start the first half, relax, or Indiana was doing really good switches on defense and forcing them to hold the ball for so long that by the time the shot clock ran out, they were just putting up shots that were going to graze the rim barely, and that was it. And then somehow, after Jawan Morgan makes a layup to start the second half and put Indiana up 10, the switch just flips completely. Maryland goes on a 16-0 run, and I think a kind of very – not underreported, but not very scrutinized aspect of that is the fact that Archie Miller never called a timeout to kind of stem the bleeding. I kind of thought that too. I thought there was there were a couple of times where a timeout might have done some good. Right, and so at that point, it just kind of all went away from that. Maryland takes a lead, grows it to as many as I think fourteen points, and Maryland kind of does the same thing that Indiana did in the first half to close the game out and maintains a nice cushion. Hoosiers got to within one point, but never any closer. And Man, it was just the Bruno Fernando and Anthony Cowan show in that second half, too. Whether it was inside or penetrating or just getting offensive rebounds, IU was just completely overmatched in every way in the second half. And it's been a long time since I can remember watching a basketball game at any level where the dynamic switches from one team dominating to another team dominating that strongly. I mean, basketball is a game of runs, but it was absolutely night and day what happened yeah it flipped on a dime um murphy looking at the game i mean i think i I think we've seen it a little bit this year obviously the arkansas game sort of the Mm -hmm. clearest indicator clearest indicator of it was the daniel gafford show i think he had like 24 points 12 rebounds he was a monster he killed iu underneath and and we knew going into this game that iu was probably going to get bodied underneath Mm -hmm. we knew that bruno fernando was going to quote unquote get his justin smith the same way and indiana Um, didn't have the bodies or the personnel to match up as well as they could have. indiana doesn't necessarily match up that well against maryland to begin with but um, 
Murphy looking at it, I mean, do you feel like, I mean, to me it felt like this game got won by Maryland underneath because Indiana just simply didn't have an answer. And I guess my larger leading question is, what can Indiana do for with a team yeah. that, frankly, doesn't have that much of a response outside of Deron Davis, who's, in theory, still kind of getting back in shape. And we've seen him start to figure it out. But and Archie Miller still. did say after the game that Deron only played four minutes and he probably shouldn't have even played Deron Davis, said he should have played Clifton more probably and looked at that as maybe a mistake on his part. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, Murphy, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, it feels like that's just one of the very many running themes that they've had throughout this season so far. You know, I mean, inconsistency, you know, you know, they can't keep runs going for very long or they have stretches where they just look really bad. Um, lack of bench production has been a problem for Zero them. Zero bench points against Maryland, although two. granted – Oh, no, two. Sorry, Rob Fancy hit two free throws with seven seconds left. So zero field goals. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, that's another thing. But then, yes, the one that stands out the most is their problems they've had um, guarding the post – um, Fernando had a huge game, 25 points, 13 rebounds. Like you said, Gafford was another guy that had a really good game against them. Um, there was oh, another d- game. Let's not forget about Derek Pardon of Northwestern. Derek Pardon, Derek yeah. Pardon that was another he was one. in a win, but he yep. ate. Yep, and uh, there was another one, too, that I can't even think off the top of my head. It might have been Illinois. They might have had a big man. Like, yeah, he Illinois, wasn't, Illinois' big man got he, that, no, the He dude, got the more than he should have. I'm honestly going to forget his name. I have no effort to yes, actually Google it, it was, but the guy it was the from big Georgia. Guy. Yeah. Yep. So, and I mean, they've had this constantly happening to them over and over again, and I don't really know what the answer is because I don't know if they have an answer on this roster because I don't think Davis is the guy. I mean, I think we're starting to find out, like you said, Davis is still Especially not 100% Davis. Yeah, I mean, if he's not 100%, he's just not. Like Marchie Miller said, he probably should have even been on the court. Um, but then you turn to the other big guys on the team and you think about who could be the inside presence. Let's just go through the names. Let's kind of ignore anyone who's hurt right now. So obviously Jerome okay. Hunter, Race Thompson. Yeah, they're not. Um, they don't count. Jake Forster. I think he's I, a freshman and he's just he's not going to play this year. He's I, just developing. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a Race Thompson uh, fan a little bit here, fanboy so to speak. I, I yeah. actually think he gives them something that they haven't necessarily gotten. I think the we only also haven't seen he hasn't it, been healthy. Well, that's for healthy. one. He's been he hasn't been healthy in games that you know in theory could have been games where he could have gotten some pretty decent minutes. Um, I I actually think that Ray Thompson gives them some ability up around the rim and like getting up above the rim, kind of in the way that not necessarily to the same degree, but an athleticism a la Justin Smith. I think that he is that kind of athlete. Um, I would just like to see it. Right. No, yeah. I, I agree, and that's why I think that like it, it honestly surprises me that you go with a Clifton Moore over him in situations where they've both been healthy because yeah. I think Jake Forrester has, gives you a hell of a lot more than Cl- Clifton. Oh, does. you've been saying Race Thompson this entire time been meaning to say Jake Forrester. Did I say Race Thompson? You said, you Jake, said it multiple yeah, you times. Said Race Thompson. Well, so I, let's I, redact that and let's right. put okay, in Jake Okay, but you Forrester. meant Jake Forrester. I, sorry, yes. We're talking yes. about Jake Forrester. Okay, so okay, well, yes. Jake Forrester has been healthy. Was available yeah. for Maryland, did not play. And then right. your, your two other options, if you're talking about guys who could provide minutes and then what we expect from those minutes inside are Clifton Moore, who we kind of you know just He's touched on, good. who Sorry. we don't think is particularly good. Sorry, I just gonna be. Blind. And who obviously Ben prefers Jake Forrester to. I just think Forrester gives you more athletic upside, and I think that Clifton Moore, he's fine. He's a big body, and I guess he can stretch it out. I, I mean, he, coming in, we knew he is we, very lanky and not co- quite as built. Right, and co- and coming into college, the way that Clifton Moore was sort of perceived was that he was going to be kind of a stretch four ish, stretch five ish, that he could step out and shoot the ball a little bit. And, and I think he hasn't proven that you've seen it maybe a little bit. And I, I mean, people talk about his ability to step out, but 
he hasn't played enough serious minutes for us. He to has a funky anything. looking jump shot. Let me tell there you. There is that. I don't know. I just think I, I think Forrester gives you more upside, and I think that in the long term, giving Forrester minutes gives you a better chance. And and but I think that but right. I think that too having a healthy race Thompson gives you a yeah. little bit of the same thing that Forrester gives you. It's an athletic guy, but I think Race can shoot the ball better than people realize, and he was a true scorer in high school. And I, I think that not having him is hurt too. They're all in that development stage at this point. They're just not options this year. They they they're gonna be maybe in a year or two, but not. Not right now. And so they're really, you know. And our final candidate, oh boy, Evan Fitzner. Well, Evan Fitzner can't guard that chair right there, <laughs> to be honest with you. So um, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I, I I really thought that Evan Fitzner was going to be a big big tool for this team coming in. A this lot of year. people thought that, and I, think. And, and I thought he was going. Although be to be Marquette. fair, I don't think people thought he was going to be a tool, even at his best and even at his most well utilized. He was not going to be a tool on the inside. No, I agree, and I think you know, race race Thompson, Evan Fitzner was in this. You game. got race Thompson on your mind, buddy. I'm, I I I think race Thompson is a bigger piece of this puzzle Shout than people realize because he hasn't been able to play. But um, I, I I think that Evan Fitzner is a guy that. He's on the court to shoot threes. He hasn't shot the ball particularly well since Marquette. He hasn't made a basket since Jacksonville. So there you go. Really? Um, he hasn't made a three-pointer since Central Arkansas. Hasn't made a basket since Jacksonville. But that's think, not due to lack of playing time. But, well, I, but I think the but, other frustrating thing, too, is I just want to harp on this real quick. Played against Michigan. Ten minutes, only two shot attempts. Eighteen minutes, very significant time against Maryland with Justin Smith foul situation. Only three shot attempts. So, like, even as a shooter – He's not, not shooting the ball. Shots. To quote the great Ben Ladner from inside the hall, <laughs> Ladner, what good is a shooter if he doesn't shoot? That's right. But then again, if he's going to miss it, why are you shooting? So he's, I, he's yeah. very he's very streaky. He really needs to see a, a ball go through the hoop. I think in the worst. I, I kind of think his confidence is shot in the way that Justin Smith was earlier yeah. in the year. And, and even it, defensively, if we're talking about a guy around the glass, he's not the answer. He's not the answer, and I, the, his confidence from that standpoint is definitely not going to be helped by seeing how Fernando manhandled him. Well, and what you know, Evan Fitzner's not a guy who's going to match up against a guy like right, Fernando, obviously. who's going to be a first yeah. round pick. I mean, this is just the, and even Jalen Smith the same way yeah. is a, is a big big upside guy. Evan Fitzner's not there to guard guys on the inside. You're you're He's essentially no. you're essentially giving up his defense for the offense. But when the offense isn't there, you're getting a whole lot of nothing. So that leaves Davis and Morgan. And I, but okay, and I think we've talked about Davis, and I think he hasn't been great. But I, but I think there have been positives from Davis. I think he's there's been a couple of games where you've thought, okay, he's starting to get his groove back. Um, I think he had a decent game against Northwestern. Um, there's been a couple of moments where you know you can see the feel around the rim that he has, and that we got to see before he mm-hmm. got injured. And, yeah. and, I, and I actually think that before he got injured last year, he was headed for a big year. I mean, he played really, really well in the early going. I mean, he was, was going to be a huge player part on the team, team last year, right? Which and is kind of funny to think about how quickly the dynamic of Indiana has shifted from Deron how, Davis being the featured player. On the bigger right. spectrum, it's how big or how much the game of basketball <laughs> yes, has let's changed. Talk about the that. big global Murphy spiel about how basketball has changed. It, I mean, it in has, seven months. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, too, about Morgan, obviously we know what Juwan Morgan can do offensively and defensively, and something that I think Ben's going to explore more in an upcoming story for us, which you can read at idsnews.com. Hashtag the, plug. Hashtag plug. Is the fact that they're playing Juwan Morgan so many minutes that at some point the machine's going to get tired and the machine is going to get broken down. And especially when you have to rely 
early in the season on so many minutes from Jawan Morgan to eke out wins against teams like Texas Arlington and UC Davis, maybe the ramifications of that start to show themselves in conference play where if you're still playing him 30-plus minutes a night, he's not going to be able, humanly possible, to be that physical every night and battle for every single board even when it's needed with two, three minutes left in the game. Aren't you I, Miller I even, agree aren't with you that. Miller even said, and <laughs> since I haven't talked about the Michigan game enough, right, yeah. <laughs> No, that uh, Archie Miller said after the Michigan game, he said, "Look, he was tired out there, and that he really wasn't. You know, by the end of that game, he was ga- he looked gassed. I think was the was the." Exact I feel like Archie says said. after every post game press com or in every post game press conference, yeah, we needed to get Juwan more blows, but unfortunately, either X happened with foul trouble, X happened with I didn't trust this player enough, or X happened with the game demanded that Morgan needed to stay in there. And so, I think, and, regardless and, and, of what happened, and I think that IU can't totally leave that because I think that. Because I think that this team is built around Jawan Morgan. As, as great as Romeo Langford's been, and he was phenomenal against Maryland, 28 points. But uh, this is a team that is, frankly, the heart and soul of this team is Juwan Morgan more than it is Romeo Langford. And I think that part, just by that being what the product on the floor is, I think Juwan Morgan's going to have to play a lot of minutes, and it's not yeah. ideal, but I think it's just how this is going to go. He can do it. I, I agree. He's done it so far. It's just, it's just at what point does he – I don't want to say break down because that's not necessarily the right word, but, like, at what point does it start catching up? Because when he gets to the tail end, you know, the way – the teams that win in March, the teams that win in the postseason, the teams that peak at the right time. And I, I still think that Indiana is, is a team that's, in a way, built to peak at the right time. Because well, they, of all the, they obviously haven't peaked yet, so that's the good right. news. Unless we're really going to peak. They have third, not Unless, have not unless we're going to look back six months from now and say, man, they really peaked against Marquette. I was just about to say <laughs> that. If, yeah. they, if, that's the, if that's the answer eventually down the road, that's very bad. That's not this. a good sign for but us no, I th- But I think with how many injuries they've had and with how many young pieces they have outside of Juwan Morgan playing big minutes, I think that it's fair to th- assume that like you know the upside of this team is there and they, they've got to start – they're starting to figure it out. And you're starting to see – over the season we've seen the cons- seen it build a little bit. Um, and I think getting Rob Finnessy back will help stabilize. That will help a lot. Right, yeah, let's not forget about that. So Finnessy comes back, played 17 minutes against Maryland. Not super effective, but you want Rob Finnessy playing. He's on the you floor want Rob Finnessy a point thing. guard because right. he's the only really true point guard they have. And, and again, you the, can't the, convince me that the, Devontae the thing Green's about Devontae a true point Green, guard. Again, had a great opening 12 minutes. Still, he's gotten better Good at for him. He's gotten a lot better at managing the turnovers. But then in the second half, when Indiana needed scores because Romer Langford didn't quite turn on till the last portion of the game. Devontae Green was one of the players you can lump in there with Justin Smith from foul trouble as well, who didn't provide the secondary score yeah, I will say that fair- Indiana needs. I will say in fairness, Devontae Green had a really good first half and actually played a pretty solid game against Maryland as first streaky a player as he is. But um let's, yes. let's speaking of Devontae let's, Green, let's, let's turn to the Nebraska version of Devontae Green, James Palmer Jr. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Palmer's probably a little bit better of a player what? than Devontae Green. A little bit more points. He's so James yeah, Cam's, Cam's You gone just on. said you just compared him to Devontae Cam Green. Is, yes. Cam has gone all in on Nebraska. I can, because Cam is Cam is going research heavy here, but I can, buddy, I, can he de- I can defend that twenty points a game. I can James Palmer is a much better. Player He's than the Devontae much Green. better Devontae but Green. The ma- thing- I, hold on to yeah. start. IU Nebraska Monday, Monday night. night. Big game. IU really needs this one to get back on track. I, I really think they need to win both these games this week. It's a game Purdue that Indiana Nebraska. should win against Nebraska in particular. We'll get to Purdue in a hot sack, but yes. yeah. Um, Cam, what do you got on Nebraska? So here's the thing about James Palmer Jr. that I was alluding to earlier. Okay. Great scorer. Elite score. He's led Nebraska in scoring, I think, nine times this season. So, really good player from that standpoint. Here's the only, here's the way I can justify comparing him to Devontae Green. There have been five times this season where he's had four more turnovers in the game. And when you mm. look to his assist to turnover ratio, he's got, 
he averages two turnovers a game and only three assists a game. So from that standpoint, he's kind of the archetypal Devontae Green. <laughs> he's <laughs> probably better than Devontae Green. He's the archetypal Devontae Green just from the standpoint of he turns the ball. He has a tendency to turn the ball over a lot, and he shoots a lot and not super great at facilitating other players in the offense. However, where he makes up for that is the fact that, like Murphy said, he averages 19.5 points per game. He's their leading scorer basically night in and night out. He's very good. And something about this Nebraska team, he's got help too. It's not like mm-hmm. they just have this one superstar six-foot, six-inch guard who's filling up the cup every night and they're reliant on him to win, like a Purdue sometimes with Carson Edwards. You got Isaac Copeland Jr. with 14 points a game. Who's a transfer. Glenn Watson Jr. with 13 points Who a game. Who tore up IU about two or three years ago Isaiah, at Assembly Hall. Isaiah Roby with 11 points a game. This is a Nebraska team that aver- has four guys averaging double digits. They're not super great at rebounding, but again, they have some size inside that with Indiana's injuries could maybe pose some difficulties. And they also are pretty good at three-pointers. They average 37% as a team. And when your best player, your best scorer, James Palmer Jr., is your fifth best three-point shooter on the team per like average you know, three-point percentage made, then that could probably scare IU because if they lost to Maryland because of their lack of size and physicality on the inside, they could very well lose to Nebraska because of their lack of closing down and just allowing three-pointers to, you know, rain like the snow currently falling in Bloomington. Nebraska's ranked number 13 in the Ken Palm rankings right now, 12-4. and four. Good the, lord, the, really? Yeah, and the thing that sticks out to oh me, my really, God. And, and you know what sticks out to me the most is the adjusted offense. They rank ninth in the country in adjusted offense. I mean, that's an efficient, efficient And they team. haven't played particularly good this season when you look at X's nose. They have some nice wins against Creighton, against Oklahoma State. Um, and, and for context, the teams that stick at, that, that are in the top 10 for adjusted offense. Beat Seton Hall by 23. In, in the realm of Nebraska. Coming at number, at number six is Virginia. Number seven is yep. Creighton. Eight is Virginia Tech. Nine, Nebraska. Ten is Auburn. Then you get North Carolina State and Nevada. Goodness. Those are all those good teams. Very those good teams. Those are team. all really good teams. And North teams Carolina up, State, don't sleep. And those are teams that put up a lot of points. I mean, that yeah. that's just gives you an idea of how efficient this Nebraska offense is. Now, that said, the adjusted defense is not something to behold. They're ranked number 53, so they give up a lot of points, and they're not particularly great mm-hmm. on the defensive end. 93 on the road at Iowa is probably a good sign. You're not a super good defensive team. Right, and I and I think that for what, for, for what that's 85 worth— 85 to Minnesota on the road. Right, and Indiana is— not particularly that much better on the defensive side. I mean, they rank, come in and rank 40, but you, this team is this is an Indiana team that is generally, and I think Archie Miller's staple is that this is going to be a team that relies on its defense. And that's your theory games. about this being a track meet. Right, exactly. And I, that's why I think that like Indiana can go up and down, and I think that Indiana has a – their offense is more capable than I think Archie Miller gives it credit for sometimes because <laughs> I think that you know the way that Archie is, he is a kind of – defensive coordinator type he's a defensive minded coach I get that but I think that this offense has the ability to run up and down the floor in a way that we haven't necessarily seen and I honestly think that Bringing like back bad I, Indiana football uh, memories from but, Benjamin uh, but yeah seriously PTSD. but but I think that I, I think there's something to be said because I would uh, something that I'd really like to see from this Indiana team is see them get out and run because I think that like yeah. for as much as as much half court offense as they run I actually think that what suits them and the way that they the guys that they have, this is an athletic team. They're a team that can get up and down the floor, and I get that they don't go particularly deep right now because of how they are, because of how their the injuries have affected this team. But I, I think that this is a team that can get up and down the floor, get some points in transition, and we really haven't seen it all year, yeah. except for maybe I guess 
Illinois a little bit. Well, you see, like in a bunch of the they, early games in when they were Maryland, they're getting close Maryland, to even points. early in the Maryland game, early in the Maryland game, they got out in transition a lot. They were getting turnovers, and and it was defense turning into offense. And I get that because you know that's how this team is. It's going to be defense, defense first, offense second. But I, but I think that this team can get out in transition more mm-hmm. than they do, and I think that it would help this team because I think that running these half court sets is for as much as you want to get Juwan Morgan involved in the game, and you should. They can get out and run, and they don't do it. And I think that that also helps your jump shooting because if you get out and run, you're going to get more open shots, open yeah. looks on the three-point line. And if you get open looks, this is a team, even if you don't shoot the ball particularly well from three, guys are going to knock down open looks. They're in they're div- top-tier Division One college basketball players for a reason. They can hit these shots, and that's what I think is uh, frustrates me so much about watching the IU offense. Yeah, IU offensively, they're just a team in general that – is so much better when they attack the basket, even in the half court. If they're going towards the basket, they're very, very good. They're very good because Romeo's pretty good at you know finishing around the rim. We've seen some stats come out to where I think it was Sam. What's his last name that starts with a V? I'm going to butcher it. Vin- Vincent. Uh, I don't know. I know you're talking the, about. The big stats. Anyway, there was per like adjusted finishing at the rim type metrics, Romeo Langford's literally the best player in the yeah. country with minimum like 50 drives to the basket. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he's actually the best player in the country you want driving to the rim to finish layups. And he the, made some outrageous shots against uh, Maryland. The yeah. bad thing is, Ayu gets out of doing that quite a bit. For some reason, something happens where they just kind of stall out, especially in the half court, so that kind of goes to your point of playing, tra- playing more in transition, more in the fast break. But... It just seems to happen to them, and then it goes nowhere, and it gets ugly at times. I think some of the part of it right now, too, is do you trust Romeo and Devontae to be running this ship while Finnessy still works himself back? Because at its best— I trust Romeo. It was when Finnessy was in control running these, whether it's the half court or whether it's going out and fast break and running up and down the court. You can trust Romeo. I don't know if you can trust Devontae. And at the same point, Romeo's still young. Do you want the ball in Romeo's hands that much? Because if they take him away, then— I will say that, you know. yeah, there's that, and I think the one counterpoint I have to the getting out and transition, as much as I am a proponent of it, I think the one thing that you do see is that, like, against a team like Nebraska, that plays into their hand. Like, Nebraska's a team that wants to get out and run, score a hell of a lot of right. points, and, you know. Beat them make, at their own game. Yeah, they want to make this a Big 12 football shootout. I mean, this they want this to be a, you know, good old-fashioned run-and-gun type thing. Um, whereas I think that this, this kind of t- game really, like, if Indiana's going to win, and I, I do think they're going to beat Nebraska, but I, I think that if they're going to go in and win, this is a game that they have to win for one. Um, mm-hmm. They have to control the pace, and I think that's where you can get Nebraska out of sorts is make them play a half-court game. Um, and, and I think that, you know, James Palmer Jr. is going to get his points, but if you can keep him in check at least. And, and, and I mean, you look at how Indiana kept Marcus Howard in I was going to say, we talked against, earlier about big men, big men having, like, really successful games against Indiana. Indiana's been really good against guards. They've been pretty good against guards, and in particular star guards who you think are going to be, you know, the big-time headline-making matchup, Marcus right. Howard being the best example. of Indiana's done, honestly, a pretty good job of neutralizing other teams' star players this season yeah. for the most even, part. Even Jordan and Wara, who's a bigger guy um, on Louisville, you know, I think he's like 6'8", 2", 20 ballpark mm-hmm. somewhere around yeah. there, 230, 240. Um, he, he's a big guy. And Indiana kept him. He got, I think he had like 24 points in that game against Louisville, but he, yeah. Indiana like made it tough on him. And I think Especially Justin in Smith. The second half. And I think Justin Smith said something about it after the game. He said, you know, yeah, he scored whatever it was, 24, 25 points. But they were all points, difficult. But they were difficult shots. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what Indiana does really well is they do defend really well from that point of attack. It's teams like. A Duke, a Michigan, where they have multiple. Like you can take away Iggy Brasdikas, but then you're going to have Pool, and then you're going to have Xavier Simpson had Simpson, hit, hit some yeah. really nice shots, and uh, yeah, I mean, th- this was that was one of those games, and I think Duke is 
an unbelievably good team, but you know Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish. I mean, yeah. they've got got. Three, you have this to an extent in Nebraska with four guys in double figures, but you don't have it to that extreme level. Right, and that's why I think that Indiana matches up well against this team because I think, like we've said, Indiana have, has matched up well against teams that have you know that one primary scorer, and I think that Justin Smith can give Palmer his run, a run for his money on defense. Right. And the last thing I'll say that kind of works in Indiana's favor for this Nebraska game is the fact that the Cornhuskers are one and three on the road this season. All three of those losses in true road games, I should say, they played a couple tournaments. All three of those road losses have come in Big Ten play, Minnesota, Maryland, and Iowa. And the last time the Cornhuskers won on the road was late November at Clemson by two points. So in terms of Indiana's really good at home, Nebraska, like Indiana, is bad on the road. Monday night, a game you need to win. This is going to be a a win that's going to keep you on track, nice and confident, say, tournament, a loss that is really going to stir up some things if Indiana drops a 3-3 three and three in conference play with that big Purdue game looming, who we're going to talk to uh, Nathan Barrett about here in just a second. But Indiana has to win. you got to think that they come out with you know some, some attitude in this game, really. They better. Definitely. Well, anyway, that'll do it for the first half of the show. On the other side, we'll have Nathan Baird, Purdue insider from the Journal and Courier in Lafayette, Indiana. We'll talk some IU-Purdue. Get you back here in a minute. TIS College Bookstore has been outfitting generations of IU fans for over 56 years, and we have the largest selection of IU apparel and gifts in Bloomington. Start your holiday shopping with 25% off one regular priced apparel or gift item at iugear.com when you use promo code IUBB. If you're in town for the game, stop by TIS and show us your athletic ticket stub, and we'll give you 25% off one IU sportswear item. TIS College Bookstore, representing everything IU. Hello and welcome back to the Indiana Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. Ben Portnoy alongside Cam Drummond and Murphy Wheeler. Guys, we've got uh, Nathan Baird on the phone. Nathan uh, going to talk some Purdue basketball um, from the Journal Courier in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Good, good. All right, guys. So, obviously, we've got IU-Purdue coming up next Saturday after uh, the Hoosiers take on Nebraska Monday night. Um, Nathan, I'll just start with the, with Purdue and Carson Edwards. Obviously, he's been kind of the identity of this team, at least, uh, leading the scoring component. Um, what kind of – I guess, what can people expect? What is this team outside of Carson Edwards? Well, in some ways, I think they're still figuring that out. And in some ways, it also – is very dependent on how Carson Edwards plays on, on a given night. Um, you know, the, the two games that Purdue played last week were sort of a microcosm of that and, and showed what kind of influence he can have on, a, on an entire offense when he um, is maybe just a little bit more engaged and plays um, with – and it becomes a more cohesive attack. I mean, up at Michigan State, uh, I think he went three for 16, and it wasn't just that he was missing shots because he's going to take a high volume of shots. But he just he, he was choosing to take shots that I, I think were taking him out of the offense a little bit, and the uh, I thought that was evident during the game. And then after the game, Matt Painter went so far as to say that he thought Edwards had guarded himself at times that night, or was guarding himself at times, just I think in generally, which I take as a pretty big indictment of a player, especially a lead guard, that you're you're sort of playing into what the other team's defense wants you to do. And then you know Friday night at Wisconsin, you saw a much better version of him. Uh, in some ways, the, the versions aren't too different in approach, I guess, because it, some nights it's just going to matter which shots fall, which ones don't. But there were also key moments in that game where Edwards was making the decision to drive to the basket rather than pull up and take a deep three. And the, the biggest play of the game was you know, he 
Purdue called a play for him coming out of a timeout in overtime. He, you know, dribbled into what was a double team and went up to shoot, but knew that Grady Eifert was going to be left all alone because of that double team. He hits him with a pass. Eifert gets fouled, goes to the line, it breaks the tie, and they go on to win that game in overtime. So a shot he doesn't take was pretty pivotal in, in whether or not Purdue won that game or not. And I think that's really the biggest thing for Purdue going forward. Yes, they have to find more consistency in the offense from people like Ryan Klein, from uh, someone like you know Trevon Williams, who's really come along here in the last couple of weeks and helped solidify the production they're getting out of the post. But Edwards also needs to create more and, and better um, elevate the play of the team around him because I thought early in that Wisconsin game it might have been going the other way with the way Ethan Happ was playing, another guy who's a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate. And I think he ended up with eight assists, six assists, eight assists, something like that. And he's, he's always been a high-volume assist guy for a, for a post player. And it's because um, he does a good job passing out of those double teams and, and other situations and, and making his teammates better. And I think that's still the one hurdle that I don't know that Carson Edwards has, has climbed yet. And it may be the most critical one to how good of a team Purdue could be this year. Yeah, Nathan, it's Cameron Drummond here. Uh, there's actually you kind of, you know, kind of brought up a point that I was going to ask you about, which was going to be the play of Travion Williams. I guess when you think of, you know, kind of an impact freshman in the Big Ten Conference, you're maybe not necessarily looking at a guy who's still only averaging 7.4 minutes a game this season. But as you mentioned, especially Michigan State and the Wisconsin games, he's come on strong, even led Purdue in scoring in that loss to the Spartans. So what have you seen from him in the past couple of weeks that's allowed him to maybe you know come to the forefront a bit more of Purdue and maybe provide a bit more of that balance especially for a guy who's going to be kind of playing a little bit more inside than someone like Carson Edwards would you know as recently as mid-December he was really not a factor in any way in games he was third on the rotation at center and and none of those guys are are really ever being used at the four even though you know um, Evan Boudreaux and Matt Hobbs both have a skill set that could potentially translate there if Purdue decides that they can trust him defensively. But really, he was he was really buried minutes-wise behind both of those guys. And all the way up until, I mean, he didn't play at all at the game at Texas. He didn't play at all at the Charleston Classic Championship against Virginia Tech. He was just out of the rotation. He was playing spare minutes before that. And then with the Notre Dame game and the Crossroads Classic, um, Purdue needed some kind of spark. Things were they were in a big hole in the second half. Nothing was really working. And he came in and really lit a fire and had 10 points in nine minutes and four rebounds and a couple steals and a block and uh, was just really active both ends of the floor and showed really for the first time that he could play with the kind of stamina that they had expected from him. This is a guy that came in, uh, reports vary. I haven't been able to get a exact amount. Obviously, I wasn't there at weigh-in. But, you know, I've, I've heard that he was as high as 315 or, or something close to it when he got on to campus last, in, you know, over the summer. And now he's, you know, they list him at 280, but really he's probably down more 270, 275 on most days, I think. Um, so that's, you know, a significant amount of weight that he's lost since he came into the program. And they needed him to kind of show that he could play longer than just two or three minutes. I mean, there was going to be times where he was going to be needed. And that ended up happening at Michigan State. You know, Evan Boudreaux um, injured his groin in the first half and can't play at all in the second half. Matt Harms is in big foul trouble. And they just let Williams go out there and run. And not only did he give them adequate minutes, he was really going head-to-head with Nick Ward and Xavier Tillman and the other big guys that Michigan State has and, and more than held his own, 13 points, 12 rebounds. He was really the, the silver lining of that game. And so now all of a sudden you take a Purdue team that previously was trying to use maybe some unconventional fives in Harms and Boudreaux. Like I said before, they almost have more of a four skill set traditionally 
take those guys and make them fives, and they both can can help Purdue there in certain matchups. But now you're putting a legitimate five in there. I mean, Trevor Williams doesn't have to pretend to be a big, lower-body, hard-to-shove-around guy. That's his identity. That's 100% who he is. And when you can add that to Purdue's mix, I think it does make them more interesting. It helps him from a rebounding standpoint. Certainly, he's had 14 offensive rebounds the last two games. Um, but also, he's, he's, he's holding his own defensively. And then, obviously, just the, the, the pure scoring production they're getting from him at times by, by getting the ball inside. Now the trick for Purdue is, do you get the ball inside? Or do you have still these long stretches of offense where you're settling for jump shots and not making another defense, not keeping them honest, not making them work both, both halves of the floor? Um, that's still, at the end of the day, the key. Purdue can keep getting these individual improvements as we've seen, as we soften them at the end of non-conference and the Iowa win. But I, I, unless they have the approach to go with it, which they didn't have, for instance, at Michigan State earlier this week, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. That, that's still where they have some, some consistency problems. Right, and kind of relating this back to IU for a second, obviously the Hoosiers just kind of recently came off a game against Maryland where they were completely bullied on the inside, especially on the offensive glass with someone like Bruno Fernando just really taking control and having his way inside. So when you look at maybe the length and size Purdue has, not only with someone like Williams but also obviously with Matt Harms, how do you feel that maybe can kind of match up against Indiana in terms of disrupting the way that the Hoosiers can get second-chance points or just take anything off the glass from a Purdue team that's pretty big on the inside? Yeah, I think that, again, that somewhat depends on which Purdue team shows up that night because Purdue obviously has the bodies where they're capable to do that. Uh, a couple guys that I would also remind people of, um, Grady Eifert, who's been starting at the four for Purdue, is a senior, former walk-on, but has worked himself into a starter and a team captain and uh, has been really important as far as just sort of those um, intangibles and those sort of grinder minutes and going in and um, getting very quietly, but getting five, six rebounds a night, a couple steals, um, isn't going to be a high volume score, but can knock down an open three. Um, and that's the other thing that you have to remember with Purdue. Oh, and I guess I should mention Aaron Wheeler and, and the minutes he's been giving. He's really flashed some interesting things as a retro freshman off the bench and maybe has a, a role that can grow over the course of the year as he gets more consistent. But the thing for Purdue, Williams helps them as far as what you're talking about, as far as being able to kind of bully people, shove people around, have a more traditional, that, that conventional um, oomph and, and that, that, that thumping presence down in the post. That's something that, it, like I said before, it's not really Harms and Boudreaux's natural skill set. Um, Harms is trying to work himself to where he can be more of that. But what Purdue can do is if they go up against a conventional big or, or somebody who, um, it, it just really any team's, any team's front court, they, they think that Boudreaux and Harms have the mid-range game, the perimeter game, where they can start to you know, force those guys to defend them away from the basket. And now what does that open up for your offense in terms of spacing, in terms of you know, forcing defenses to have to be aware of a lot more things? Um, I don't know that that has come together with the consistency that Purdue has wanted. And in fact, I know it hasn't, but it is still there. It's something that's kind of in this bag of tricks potentially. It's just a matter of still Purdue for, for in a lot of ways. It's just a matter of how many of these things do they start doing consistently and, and, and how, many, how much do they sort of raise the floor on what their reliability is on a, a given night. Definitely, and I guess this transitioning a little bit more big picture. I know you mentioned the consistency piece of it, and obviously Purdue's had you know the strong match, strong games against you know some top flight competition, whether and then some of that coming early in the year against Virginia Tech, of Florida State, things like that. But um, sort of of late, you know, getting kind of blown out at Michigan State. Same things to be said for Michigan. Is some of that inconsistency? I guess is some of that a, a product of Carson Edwards's consistency, or is that just kind of what this team has been? Just a lot of ups and downs. 
you know, it's it, it's tough to put too much of it on Edward, sure. um, which is, I, I, it may be contradictory to what I started off this conversation by saying, because I do think there are some strides he still needs to make. At the same time, he scored 40 points uh, in that game at Texas and was really efficient right. doing it, and they still lose 72-68 to because right. nobody else on that team could <laughs> shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, they went, uh, whatever it was, two for 16 or something in the first half and three, and it's just one of those fluke games because if you hit three of 16, you're still shooting just an atrocious percentage but you maybe win that game because it just changes the complexion of everything if you have those three extra points sure. in the second half so that's how close they were in some of these games I mean, the virginia tech game they're right there the florida state game they're up whatever it was seven points with under four minutes to play and just right. couldn't hold on um but they've had all those opportunities in those close games what i think was a, a bigger problem there and they started to correct it um is last year they were just so skilled and so poised and so reliable at all five of those starting positions, even though, you know, P.J. Thompson wasn't going to go out and score 35 points a night. Right. But you were really – you knew that he would – whatever he did production-wise was going to be efficient. Same with Dakota Mathias. Same with Vincent Edwards. Same especially with Isaac Haas, just a, a really efficient, reliable, low-post scorer who cut down on his turnovers and really helped himself as a free-throw shooter over the course of his career. It's a long-winded way of saying they just had a really – they could – their offense was so potent last year that uh, there were a lot of nights where defensively they didn't have to if, if they had a problem defensively a lot of times the the offense could mask it this year the, the opposite is true they're they're much more inconsistent offensively they don't have nearly the across the board you know firepower that they had last year offensively and because of that because they've also dropped defensively those it, there's just more fluctuation there's a lot more um, um, volatility in the performance on a given night. So that was, I thought, the biggest key was that they had to find some way going into Big Ten play to sort of raise the floor of what they should expect every night defensively. If they could make themselves better defensively over the long run and make that just a more reliable part of their game, then it would sort of absorb some of these offensive swings that they're going to go through where some nights shots fall and some nights they don't. Um, that's ultimately why they lost the Texas game as bad as they shot was they didn't defend well at all in the second half. They didn't defend Notre Dame well at all. They got really blown away early on at that Michigan game, gave themselves no chance to get into that game. Um, now you've started to see towards the end of the non-conference season or into that Iowa game, you saw the defensive turn. Now, again, it's just a matter of, of finding some consistency with it moving forward. And, and Indiana's going to obviously be a good test of that because um, that's a game for you know, multiple dynamic guys on the floor on any given night. And Purdue's got to find a way, all, all five spots, to, to, to have that defensive consistency and be able to interrupt a team like that. Yeah, I guess kind of going – to maybe a more specific part of that Indiana question now. Obviously, it's you know hit or miss in terms of like a game preview or a game prediction. But uh, the matchup that you know who's your fans are going to want to know about is who on this Purdue team, if anyone, could maybe match up against Romeo Langford or try and contain him on the defensive side of things for the Boilermakers because we've seen Romeo kind of come alive, especially these most recent conference games, dropping 28 points against both the Fighting Illini and the Terrapins. It's an interesting question because. Purdue's best defensive player so far is someone who, in theory, would match up really intriguingly with someone like Langford, and that's Noja Leaster, who's a 6'6", 200 and whatever he is, 220-pound mm. um, guard, a point guard, um, just a very unconventional size for that position, and has really asserted himself defensively and has pretty consistently made a big impact there. I know um, Demetri Trice hit a couple big threes late in regulation the other night at Wisconsin, but for most of that game, Eastern had him pretty marginalized. And the problem is, though, as far as what Purdue – not problem, I shouldn't say, but 
the, the approach that Purdue has mostly taken is to put him on someone like Trice, put him on the opposing point guard, because they like jamming that opposing point guard as he brings the ball up as a way to interrupt that offense really early on, try to wear that guy down. That's, that's, a, that's a long-standing um, approach that Purdue has taken on defense. So I would assume that that, that matchup then either falls to Parson Edwards or Ryan Klein, and both of them, frankly, have – been somewhat inconsistent defensively, at least not up to the standards that, that they both hoped that they would have going into the season, to be sure. And I think that's going to be a, a big test for both those guys. They've got to find a way to not let that guy, you know, sort of take over a game. Um, but, but, I mean, it, it's, this is a team that's going to have some other matchup problems for Purdue. I mean, I think Jawan Morgan's um, a tough matchup to them. Purdue's had some, some bigger bodies in the past that have, have been able to marginalize him a little bit. But uh, that's going to be a tough matchup, whether it's you know Grady Eifert or Aaron Wheeler coming off the bench, or if they try to do something with, with one of the big guys. Um, it, there's going to be some really tough matchups in that. But I guess you know that's that's what makes this lineup. This will make this rivalry great. I think it's going to be um, interesting to see both how those teams decide to match up with each other for this first meeting coming up on Saturday, and then what the ramifications are going forward from that. You know, how do both these teams react to whatever happens on Saturday, and then a couple weeks later in Bloomington. Um, how does that affect that matchup? All right. Well, I will. Uh, I'll close it out here with just the uh, very stereotypical. Uh, what's your, what's your pick in this game? What do you see? What's kind of your prediction? I, well, Purdue has played so much better at home than it has on the road. And it, other than the really the end of that Michigan State game, I feel like they they have turned a corner as far as playing better consistently. Mm. So this is a game I think Purdue. I would probably favor them to win. I don't know what the spread or whatever is going to be but again i think it comes back to how how locked in is this team defensively on a given night and um they're gonna it'll help them a little bit i think they have a few days to prepare for this instead of having a quick turnaround but um coming off this rutgers game um assuming they don't look past this rutgers game they have, they have a chance here to to build some momentum going into that game and that's something that they haven't um had consistently throughout this season so um it's a game on paper i like purdue but again, I think you know their performance has been volatile enough that um, they can't take anything for granted at this point. Definitely, and it opens up a uh, tough stretch for the Boilermakers. Take on Ohio State the Wednesday following, and then home against Michigan State that following Sunday. But anyway, that Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier in Lafayette, Indiana. Nathan, thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for answering some uh, some Purdue questions for us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you guys for listening. That was Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier in Lafayette, Indiana. Guys, it's going to be a good week of IU basketball. We've got Nebraska Sunday or Monday night rather at 6.30 p.m. And then Saturday against the Boilermakers in West Lafayette, 2 o'clock tip on Fox. It's going to be a great week of it's basketball. It's going to be a week of Indiana basketball, it's, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you. Of all the weeks I, Indiana's I might played even, basketball – this is one of them. It, it, it might be. It, I might even use the word electric. All right then. But anyway, please, it's getting it's getting leave. a little late in the show. We should probably go. And uh, guys, thanks for thanks for hanging around. Good show, and we'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Great. Show. Thanks for listening.